0: Thank you Karen and thank you everyone for your lovely warm welcome this morning, it's just wonderful to be here. There's a few faces I recognise and um, Eric Oostbrook, I remember him when he was a 16 year old and it's just wonderful to um, see young men and women coming on. Karen talked about um, Ian's and my passion to um, to raise, to um, help People raise children that, um, and build quality relationships. But my real passion, and this is what I've been doing for the last 12 years, is to help parents pass on faith to their children. Because my, um, because What I discovered is that, you know, we can raise children that have, well, I didn't discover it, but what we all know is we can raise children that are the best educated, the best um, social skills, the best knowledge and information, and yet... um, they're not necessarily people with character and people who love God with all their hearts. And so um, my heart re- really went out to Christian parents who long to um, train their children and to, to, um, but they don't know what to do and how to do that. So s- some of you may know about the faith box which we created, it was a family time, a weekly family time based on surprise and it teaches the whole Bible. So that's my passion currently, but you know, That sort of passion (laughs) comes from a mother's heart. And um, I I just want to, I'm standing here today as a um, gold card holder. I have my um, I have a birthday this week actually and it's taken me into a thoroughly new season of my life, I'm well into my 70s now but um, I I have 11 grandchildren but the the joy of being an older person is that it gives you perspective and you can look back and you can go what really mattered, what were the important things, what what can I tell the next generation that really matters to put in place in your home and um, Uh, it reminds me of of our daughter when she was three or four sitting next to her nana on the couch and um, they were talking about getting old and she said old oh no nana you're not old she said you're just a bit loose around the neck (laughs) and then she said as if to reassure nana you know, like a turkey, she said. <laughs> well, I can thoroughly identify with that, and I'm, I'm heading into that era. But I want to give you today a, a vision for um, your value as a mother and your worth and what you actually mean and what you hold in your hands. Now, I see lots of men here today, and um, lots of older and younger men. And so I'm really speaking to mothers today, but maybe you could um, treat it like a women's meeting and you're listening. In. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, You know, when we dedicate a child in our church, the church that I currently attend, um, the, the minister always speaks about a dedication of a child as a sign of hope. He says, this having children <laughs> tells us that we believe in the future, that we believe that God is in the future. We believe we bring children into the world because as people of faith, we believe that they're a blessing and that God gives them they're a gift and a blessing, but they're also a sign of hope that God is in the future. God is faithful and God will do what it takes to protect this child and give them purpose and meaning. So, first of all, what does a mother bring? I want to talk about three things today. So I want to talk about um, what a mother brings that really matters. I think there's a slide for that. Um, I want to talk about three New Testament mothers and how that played out in their in their children's lives. And then what God says is important that we actually do. So mothers, I want you to think for a moment. Imagine if for a moment if your world was empty of promise, no new words, no hope beyond what you were seeing, no words that spoke of the truth, light and real love. Think of the ache of non-utterance of unconditional grace and contrast that with the rainbow bow of hope that a Christian mother can surround her child with. The Bible says, "Those that fear the Lord are secure. He'll be a refuge for their children. Fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers hope from the snares of death." So, first of all, we we leave we we create a rainbow of, of promise around our children. And what I want to tell you, when we talk about children and promise, is that uh, what you need to know, and this is research, is that Christian identity has the power to oppose the destructive identities that consumer culture offers. You know, if you wonder um, if it's hard being a mother today, you just need to Google Pictionary school lunches, not Pictionary, what is it? Pinterest that all the mothers go on. Pinterest. If you like to Google Pinterest school lunches, whoa, is that scary? <laughs> because there are hundreds and hundreds of beautifully packed lunch boxes. And the, the, the thing the the things that um Uh, The pressures on mothers today to be super warm, to be perfect, well I'm here to tell you that, um, to take all that guilt away and to tell every mother that didn't provide their child with ten different organic options baked in nine different baking styles this week in the school lunches, that it's okay, my children remember the marmite sandwiches and the piece of fruit. but interesting, it's not actually what they remember. What they remember are the family times, they remember the um, Bible stories before they left for school in the morning and the questions and the answers and the prayers, they remember the fun, they remember the celebrations, they remember the traditions. So I'm going to talk a little bit bit about those sort of things. But first of all, um, I want to it, you know it's a privilege, and so this is the most challenging season of our lives. You know so many mothers feel so many um, plates they have to keep in the air, and sometimes we're not quite sure which ones to keep in the air and which ones to drop. And I just want to say, sit down sometimes and just think about what are the really important things what when when um, i'm when when i'm my age, <laughs> when you are my age, are, are you going to look back and say these were the things that really mattered that I put in place? So, um, take stock. What are the really important things? Um, traditionally, research—it really is a privilege and responsibility—to raise a child. That's that's my message today. Um, traditionally, research has shown that mothers. Um, and more of our aware of spirituality and values very often, it's often them that draw attention to it in the home and say, hey look, we need to do us something about that. So don't feel um, that you're taking an initiative that you shouldn't. If you, you start to be aware that we really need to put some stuff in place. Secondly, the smile on a mother's face tells a child that they're acceptable, that they're accepted in the world, that there's a place for them, that they're meant to be here. In fact, there's such a thing as the reservoir of joy. I only heard about this recently, but it's laid down in the earliest days of a child's life. And the reservoir of joy is the only, they actually can identify the part of our brain that, um, that it's... Located in and it 's the only part of our brain that continues to grow for the rest of our life so in the earliest days when a child doesn 't see themselves as separate from their mother, um, then we they are the sparkle in our our eyes. every child needs to be a sparkle in their mother 's eye and but then that reservoir of joy is gradually built over the years it 's built on relationships it 's built through um, it, it's built through friendships and community and whatever, and then as adults, our, our reservoir of joy continues to grow through community and through. So it's it's really important that we understand that that reservoir of joy is put down in those early years. So. I remember when I was a young mother um, and there were all sorts of dinner parties and whatever that we got invited to and we lived in Wellington in those days and there was a a real... um, pervasiveness about population growth, and Alvin Toffler's book had just come out, Future Shock, some of you, it's old hat now, but in those days it was all about population control and how we were in dire straits because the world wouldn't sustain any more population, and we were basically um, told that we could we could either limit our families or we could um, stretch out the generation so we have our families later. And there was this sense in the community and in the society that it was almost irresponsible to have... um Too many children. And I remember at the time we were having our third child, and I remember searching the scriptures and saying, Dear God, what do you think about children? What is your approach to children? How are you going to sustain the future of our children in the world? And, um, you know, the scriptures are so clear that the Bible says they're a heritage from the Lord, they're a reward and a blessing, and motherhood is a godly calling. So Jesus said, don't push these children away, don't ever get between them and me. These children are at the very centre of the kingdom. So raising children is a godly calling it. it's a very exciting thing in fact being a mother is part of what it means to image god having a child is not just the cherry on the top of um, our life plan but you know we work and nurture to the praise of god that created us having a child is is what we were made to do so we are designed children are a heritage from the lord so we're, d- we're designed to nurture, we're designed to, um, to do all those things that are natural to us and that, that are so important to children. But we're also called to be people-builders. I love Rose Kennedy, I, I mean she's well dead now, but she was the mother of, um, of President Kennedy and she, her biography was a very interesting read, but she always said What greater aspiration and challenge is there for a mother than the hope of raising a great son or daughter? She called child-rearing a profession that was fully as interesting and challenging as any honourable profession. And, you know, I just want to encourage you mothers that God has given you the best profession in the world. And these are the things that really matter later on. Susanna Wesley was my um, favourite Hero out of all the women that I've read about over the years. I had a library really of of hero women in my head as as I was raising children, and Susanna Wesley was one that I um, just loved. She was desperately poor. She was the mother of John and Charles Wesley. You would know John Wesley had. Preached to millions in his day, and revival followed him wherever he went. Then there was Charles Wesley, who another of her sons, who um, wrote something like 8,000 hymns, and many of them we, we um, still sing, actually. Um, young men, and so we we need a strong vision like like um, Susanna Wesley had. She. She um, was desperately poor. She had 10 surviving children. Her pastor husband was away for long periods of time and left the household in her hands. Twice the homes they lived in were burned to the ground. Through it, she remained a steadfast Christian. She was committed to raising children who would honor God and live in heaven for eternity and this is what Susanna Wesley said, I cannot but look upon every soul under my care as the talent committed to me under a trust by the great lord of all the families both of heaven and on earth. Um, Pandita Ramabai was on the first slide, um, I don't know if, if you know about the Ramabai Mukti mission in India but Tendita, Pandita Ramabai um, as a little girl constantly prayed to God. She desperately wanted blue eyes and she was born with brown eyes. And all through her child she t- asked God why he gave her blue eyes. Not brown eyes, not blue eyes. And as an adult she, um, she, she lived in India with her um, European parents. But as an adult, she started a mission going into the temples and rescuing the children that had been sold as prostitutes. And she set up these orphanages. And she, later in her life, she she thanked God for the brown eyes, because they were the very thing that allowed her to go unseen into these places and rescue the orphans. But Pandita Ramabai had a favourite saying, and I think that... Um, it probably wraps up all that I'm trying to say today. She said, a life lived for Christ has nothing to fear, nothing to lose, and nothing to regret. And if we lay down those things right in the earliest stages of raising our children, um, then we're going to look back and, and have no regrets. So... We women have the power to negotiate, to initiate. You know we have a wonderful quality of responsiveness. Um, that means we can respond to things. we or our husband initiates and we can respond to things, or we can um. Say yes. How would that work, and whatever. But we also have the power to initiate. We can stand tall in our families. We can cut, we can initiate things that will um, make a difference in our family. We can put in place things. I love. Um This week Sarah Bessie in a blog calls motherhood the holiest disruption of all. She says we find God in the spaces between what we know to do and the unknown territory where our usual methods are useless. Where I have to decrease that's the very time when I see Christ increase. Mothering it turns out has been my sweet place of building trust and authenticity. And so often we don't know what to do. We can go to God, we can tell him, ask him what to do and he'll show us. I, um, as, as a young mum, desperately wanted to put in place something in our family that would teach our children um, how how to live and that we, as a family, um, my own family was um, I learned so much from my own parents who took everything to God in prayer. If we were sick as little children, we'd say, can Daddy come and pray with us? We um, we used to read things like Pilgrim's Progress around the dinner table and it all get handed around the six children there were questions and answers and there were lots of debates but there was a tremendous faith that was a living faith and it happened every day and um, I wanted the same thing in our home and my husband had come from a a family where they didn't really have that sort of family discussion and I was asking God about it and the most amazing thing happened was Ian went to the Philippines at that time and he spent some time in Ben's Some of you may have heard of Ben Siaki, he's a Kiwi Um, and he ran a mission there in the Philippines. Ian spent some time in their home working with a, a team and Ben Siaki had the the Children's Living Bible. And they used to read it every morning around the dinner table and the oldest boy read it sometimes and the little ones had turns at little bits. And Ian was just so taken by this and he came home so enthusiastic. And I thought, God, you were so clever. You sent Ian right across to the other side of the world to see something modelled that he was finding really hard to grasp. So we can... Take things to God when we um, when we're feeling like we we're, we're not making any progress, we're not getting there. God has amazing ways of changing things for us. So, what's really important for children? Well, um, the things that I learned over the years is that children need to join a family that already stands for something, and. That's a very secure place. These days so many children are raised in families where suddenly the child comes into the family and everything reorientates around the child and and it's child-led. Now that's not bad in lots of ways um, because we all know that children have needs and we must meet them and delight in them. But the other side of that coin is that parents who already know what they stand for, they already know. We are a Christian family. We love God and we follow Him. We and we do these things together because we love God. is really secure for children. So God tells us to pass on a. So they need a family that already stands for something, and God tells us to pass he, in in um. In Deuteronomy, his his big main commandment to the children of Israel is to tell the children about these commands. He says, when you're out walking at bedtime, talk to your children. Teach these things to your children. Talk to them. Jehovah is our God and Jehovah alone. You must love him with all your heart, soul, and might. You must think constantly about these commandments. You must teach them to your children and talk about them. When you're at home, out for a walk at bedtime, or first thing in the morning. And it's very interesting in Psalm 71, God says there's twofold message to pass on. One is the memory of God's mighty deeds and the other one is his commandments. So often we think it's really important to teach children the rules. So teach them the commandments and they'll obey. But God says it the other way around. We need to teach him teach our children, uh, tell them about the mighty deeds that God's done. Tell them about how faithful God's done, how faithful he was right down the generations, and how faithful he's been to our family. Tell them about his mighty deeds. And that's why he, he told the children of Israel to make um, piles of stones when something wonderful had happened, so that when their children said, what does that pile of stones about they could say that was when God delivered us that was when God was faithful to us do you know um a couple of years ago some Jewish friends invited us to a Passover meal just before Easter. They were Jewish Christians actually and um, we'd never experienced one, well not like this, in a Jewish home and it was just delightful um, but the meaning of everything and, and the eldest child was instructed to ask the questions and, and the, the, the answers were given and everything stood for something and then It got to where they hid, they wrapped up the leavened bread, unleavened bread in the serviette and they hid it. And the youngest child had to go and find it. And I thought, isn't God clever? He really gets kids. He doesn't expect children to be sitting down listening to the Ten Commandments read out in boring fashion. God understands treasure hunts, God understands children's minds. God says, Talk to these things. Talk about these things when you're out walking, at bedtime, at mealtime. That's the time to talk about me, um, because God understands children. He understands that their lives and character and memories are all built during those times. So, I want to talk to you about three New Testament mothers. Well, first of all, there was Mary. Imagine, um, imagine Mary. Um, She's been given this child that in some mysterious sense she knows is the son of God. Um, she, she didn't know very much about how that would be going to play out. But she bowed ahead and waited patiently and trusted God that he would give her the wisdom to raise this child. And the only verse that says, the only verse in the Bible about Jesus is that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And all this time, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. So there's many things that we don't know about what God is going to do with our children. And sometimes the difficult one um, is the one that we don't we we pray most for. And my um, my testimony would be the one I prayed most for is the one that's ended up such a blessing as an adult. But God, But Mary, imagine what it was like raising Jesus and just um, pondering things in your heart. But they also obviously taught him. Um, he grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. That means with his relationship with God, his relationship with others. So it was really mentally, physically, socially, and spiritually he grew and thrived in her home. And then, um, then there was the mother of James and John. Do you remember that story where she goes to Jesus and she actually she kneels down before him and says, Jesus, um, if, if it's okay, I really would like to ask a favour. And um, Jesus said, what is it that you want? And she doesn't have a name in the Bible, but what is it you want? And she said, well, when you come into your kingdom, Lord, could my two sons um, sit on the left hand and the right hand? (laughs) Um, And Jesus looked at her and said, she probably was the original tiger mother, you know. My child, get my child in there. My child's doing really well at soccer. Why isn't he being made the striker? You know, all that stuff. But she really wanted the best for her kids. But the way she came at it was Jesus said to her, "Um, that's not mine to give. Only the father decides who sits in the right hand, in the left hand. But Jesus said, whoever um, follows me must be servant of all. And... um, you know, we, we need to think about this when we're raising our children, when we're training our children. Um, I love the fact that we, um, we do Faith Box with our children, um, our grandchildren, not always every week, but mostly once a month. And recently uh, we were doing the one about Jesus washing your feet and the children had to get marbles out of flour with their toes. They had to take, we took off our shoes and we had the flour outside on the backyard in the in the pan and they had to get marbles out of the pan and the person that got the most marbles got a chocolate fish or something. But um, the thing was after that they washed each other's feet with a wet wipe <laughs> and we talked about what it was being a, being a servant in the family and what things they did around the house and and what were their jobs and whatever and then the little thing we put on the fridge that week was it's better to be a servant than a star Now that's an upside down message for most kids, and especially these days when everybody gets to be stars for something, but you know, it's interesting how the children took that on board and all week we'd say, remember, it's better to be a servant than a star, and the joy they got out of being a servant. But my point here is that we have the chance to train our children's character not just to teach them things, but to practice at home um, what it means to live the way Jesus wants us to live. And then finally, the other New Testament mother I want to point out is the mother, of, mother and grandmother of Timothy. And um, his, his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice obviously were hugely impactful in Timothy's life. In fact, um, it says in Second Timothy, um, you know, the faith that came through your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. Obviously, they taught him. They taught him about the scriptures, and um, it, and, and Paul says again in that same Second Timothy, he says, "Remember how you were taught from your earliest days the scriptures." And you know, so many parents say, "Oh." Um, we're just going to let our children, you know, as they get older, we're just going to let them decide what they want. But, you know, we have the chance to teach our children, this is our inheritance, this is our identity, this is the life that we're living and this is the life that we can teach our children. How many children spend hours and hours at counsellors unwrapping stuff? because as little children, young children, older children, they, were, they didn't have the chance to practice in their home. So, um, so what do we have in our hands? We have influence. We have the chance to, um, e- every day our children come home from school, every day they have, unloading on us. Every day they're telling us stuff. Um, every day we have a chance to influence them. And like I said, I have a library in my head of women that have influenced me, some real in, or some alive still and some in books. Um, we can influence our children. I love the way our, our kids used to, even when they were teenagers, say, hey, mum, would you come and sit on the end of my bed? There's some stuff I want to run past you. And, you know, that, that happened because we put it in place. And still, as grown-up adults, 40- and 50-year-olds, they will come around and say, um, can we come around and run some stuff past you guys? Because hopefully, over the years, we've had the chance to influence. We've had the chance to debate, to share, to let them have a voice, to let them work out what they thought, um, and to, to take the scriptures and to debate them. So, um, so we have influence. We have information. I love our um, our eldest son was staying with my mother and father one time when Ian and I were away, and. um, he ran home at lunchtime, he was seven at the time, and he was full of this story that all the kids in the class said that, um, that we came from a seed in the mud, he said, and, um, but he was the only one that said, no, 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 we didn't come from a seed in the mud, God made us. And um, my dad and mum were retired at the time, and they were both there at lunchtime, and my dad, who was a retired scientist, um, sat down our seven-year-old, seven-year-old, and he said, you know, God, you know, there, there's, there was a wonderful designer behind it all. He said, you know, there wouldn't be able to be any bees and flowers if the bees and flowers hadn't arrived. Er- come at the same time. If God hadn't designed that the flowers were there the bees wouldn't have been able to exist and he started talking to Andrew just about a few things that were so obviously had design behind them and then he wrote a little pamphlet for our seven year old called No Bees in the Garden and he explained how the difference between a chimpanzee and an adult was that an adult had a lockable um, um, human being, a human being had a lockable knee and that was a whole redesign and how God had designed all this stuff. But we can give our children information. We can give them information that's age appropriate and give them as they're growing and have these discussions. And then internalisation. We need to practice, as I said before, we need to practice um, living our Christian life at home. We... um, recently, we're doing another faith box and um, we each had to get a shoe out of a bag and then we had to go and match the shoe and we had to walk in the shoes that we'd got. And um, there was my son-in-law in in high heels and and the four-year-old in great big gumboots and we were talking about how Jesus walked in our shoes, how Jesus, even though he was God, he also was human and he knew what it was like to feel. And um, then... We talked about the garment of love that God gives us. It was all part of that same scripture. And um, the next morning, Sebi, who was four, came around to work with Ian in his workshop. And he said, it wasn't raining, um, Chiefie, but he said, I'm wearing my raincoat of love anyway, he said. (laughs) So... You know, we're practicing, and and of course Ian was able to have a little discussion. So we're able to help our kids internalize and practice the habit. So we have a relay of truth that we can hand on mothers. Um, Oh, Israel, listen, Jehovah's our God. Um, Oh, I've said that one. So where are we up to? Yes, so that in times to come when your children ask, you will tell them so that all the peoples of the earth will know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. have Next slide. So when children have the, the story about the loving creator, then they have a bigger story and a context. I said at the beginning, imagine what it was like with no, no bigger story, no... Um, no sense of joy or, or no one else inhabiting the universe except ourselves and um, and that's that's what we do when we hand that on to our children. Next slide. So we leave legacies. You know um, the prayer that Jesus prayed on the cross was actually the prayer that every Jewish mother prayed with her son before he went to bed at night or with their child into your hands I commit my spirit so as Jesus was dying in his hour of agony he remembered the prayer the prayer that his mother had taught him was the prayer that he called out he added Abba Father but that was what he called out the prayer that his mother had taught him then um, some of you will have heard the story of Ian McCormick that. New Zealander who who was stung by um, sea wasps in Madagascar, and how he he knew he was dying and he was being taken to hospital. Well, he had a lot of trouble getting to hospital. He was having to forgive the taxi driver that wouldn't take him. But anyway, his body was closing down. He could feel it. But as he was being driven to hospital, he start, saw the words of the Lord's Prayer written as if. Across his as if across the television screen, across his mind. And he said, they came back to him, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them. He was forgiving people as he was dying. But, you know, his mother had taught him, he hadn't been to church for years, he hadn't had anything to do with God or church, but his mother had taught him the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer before he was five. And that was, as he was dying, that was what God showed him and that was the legacy that she had left. Um, thank you Lord that he didn't die. <laughs> um, and the final one I wanted to say about legacies was, hmm, you will all know the story of, um, of Eric Liddell. What's the name of the movie? Chariots of Fire. <laughs> Have you seen the movie Chariots of Fire? Um, it was very big when our children were growing up. But Eric Liddell was an Olympian medalist. Um, he'd come from a missionary family, a missionary family to China, and he he refused to run on Sunday and his race had been scheduled for Sunday and even the Prince of Wales was um, really furious with him because he wouldn't run on Sunday, that was his Sabbath. Um, But he trained and ran for another event, it was a 400 metre race which he hadn't trained for. Um, And as he was after the Olympics, this is what he said. After his miraculous win of the gold medal in the 400 meter race in the Olympics, Eric quietly announced his intent to go to China as a missionary. He said, it has been a wonderful experience to compete in the Olympic Games and bring home a gold medal. But since I have been a young lad, I have had my eyes on a different prize. You see, each one of us is in a greater race than any I have run in Paris. And this race ends when God gives out the medals. It has always been my intention to be a missionary and I have just received word that I've been accepted as a teacher at the Chinese college in Tianjin, China. So amazing, that young man as a child was, was raised by parents who loved God and had influenced him and planted seeds in his heart from a very young child. So um, this is the faith box that I was talking about before. If any of you want to know anything about it, I've got some pamphlets. It's a 20-minute family time in a box. <laughs> it's designed for busy families to share this weekly family time that teaches the Bible. And through play, sharing games, and treats, faith box involves the whole family. And just to finish with, I want to read you something written by the Sarah Blessey this week. Sometimes we need a big person who'll tuck us up and reassure us that we're okay. Mental health is to enjoy what we have to do now and do it with all our heart. So Sarah Bessie wrote this week about how God uses the humbling situations when our strengths fail and we're forced to rely on him. That's when he changes us and grows us. The sweet cure for our sense of failure or fear is the gospel which reminds us of our limitations and weaknesses and our need for a saviour. When we start to fear others passing judgement on us, forget about yourself. And remember your wise, sovereign, good and loving God. Perhaps we also need to remember ourselves though, our true hidden selves, hidden in Christ. To live as genuine and faithful women today requires going back to that still and silent part of us where eternity dwells, where other voices fade and we hear God's voice calling us beloved with a love that casts out all fear. And we also need other women. We need community. Thank you for listening. God bless.